a breeze that makes my breathing not so easy I've had my lungs checked out with x-rays I've smelled the hospital always You look good, Brad. Well, thank you. As do you, my friend. <laughs> well, I have to start off by saying that I wish I could go back and tell myself back in 1993 when I was a fan for the first time that I'd get to talk to you. So this is a real treat for me. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. So how has everything been going? Things have been going well. I'm uh, getting ready to go back on the road again tomorrow after a nice break, which was well needed or much needed and uh, well appreciated. Well, so yes, I'm super excited about that. And um, and I know you got a lot going on, but I do appreciate you taking the time to uh, do this today. No problem. It's a pleasure. So um, before we get too started, I like to have ask a, like a little icebreaker question though, but um. What is a question that you get asked so much that you kind of die inside every time you get asked it? <laughs> well, this one hasn't been asked in a long time, but when people ask me where I get my low voice, I kind of have to inwardly roll my eyes. It's like, where'd you get your voice? You were born with it. You know, like there's nothing <laughs> really to go on there. <laughs> it's amazing how many times I've, you know, asked that question to a lot of people because and I was always blown away at the number of questions that get re-asked constantly, you know? Yeah. And I love that yours was, where's your voice come from? Because usually it's like, you know, how's the tour going? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like It didn't surprise me when you were like, so where'd you get your voice? <laughs> yeah, for a while I started a rumor that I had three testicles just as a joke. And then it, people started taking it seriously. You should have just stuck with that one, just ran with that one for decades, you know? Uh, it ran with me for decades, I'll tell it you. It ran with you for decades. Happy belated New Year. And, you know, we made it through a pandemic. Like, how did you and your loved ones fare through it all? You know, I actually didn't have such a terrible time during the pandemic. For one thing, I'm very lucky that I... I still receive royalties from uh, from the music that I've written. So I did have uh, an ongoing income, unlike so many other people. Mm -hmm. um, as far as being stuck inside goes, I actually I actually took advantage took advantage of the time that I had and started taking um, classical piano lessons. I'd never played piano in my life, really. And um, I started taking lessons and then I got a composition teacher, which you'd think, you know, why is this guy going to a composition teacher? He's been writing songs all his life. But I wanted to learn how to write counterpoint, which is an old form of writing music that um, that emerged, you know, 400 years ago. <laughs> and um, 
so between piano lessons and composition, I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed having all that downtime because I was, I was really very active and, and learning a lot and having a lot of fun. The pandemic had such a huge, huge effect on people. Another thing I also heard was that it really tapped into the songwriting of a lot of people. Now, did the surrounding things going all in with the pandemic and everything kind of infiltrate your mind as far as like how you were going to write? You know, um, I wouldn't say that the pandemic gave me any ideas for lyrics or anything like that. I didn't really want to go there. But the pandemic did provide me the opportunity to try new kinds of writing with my composition teacher. And in fact, I wrote a new song for the first time in about 10 years called Sacred Alphabet, which is going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. I don't have a release date for it, but um, it's a song the likes of which I'd, I'd never written before because I just didn't have that background until recently. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to release it. We've got a little video for it, which looks really nice. And uh, we'll be playing it on our live shows. So at least one song came out of the whole business and, and a lyric for another, which I still haven't got music for. Did it take a little time for it to register like where we were gonna be at at that moment and that we were gonna be in this lockdown before you made that decision to pursue something else or? Do you think this is something you would have pursued like on your own at some point? You know, to, to be totally honest, I actually did starting, I did start to pursue the piano lessons on my own just before the pandemic. And so when the pandemic mm -hmm. hit, I was kind of comfortably into the groove of, of learning. Um, the composition lessons didn't come until later, but again, that was just uh, a consequence. That was in part a consequence of just having so much spare time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, and another thing, at least for me, I, I found a lot of solace in discovering music, whether it be older music or some newer artists that do the kind of music that I generally really enjoy listening to. Mm -hmm. Did you find yourself in the same situation where you maybe rediscovered some music that you forgot about or discovered something new? Well, as a matter of fact, when I started taking piano lessons, I began listening to much more classical piano music. Mm -hmm. And I, for me, I discovered for the first time, uh, you know, the genius of Bach. And uh, I was particularly interested in old sacred vocal music you know, Catholic masses and so forth. I know that sounds kind of crazy because I'm not Catholic or even Christian, <laughs> but I love the music. So I discovered Bach and I discovered, you know, all kinds of classical composers that I really hadn't paid that much attention to before. And I also got some lessons in, in uh, well, I told you already that I, would, I was taking composition lessons, but part of my composition lessons involved studying older music uh mm -hmm. music in front you know like sheet music in front of me i actually did learn to read music when i was a kid mm -hmm. um so i was i was uh learning a great deal about a lot of music i'd never heard it's just that it was all hundreds of years old <laughs> <laughs> i love what you said about the 
the listening to the old like the music of masses and whatnot and you know not being catholic or even christian i grew up catholic i'm not christian at all anymore and haven't been for decades but one of the things that i do remember loving so much was going to hear masses in latin you know and hearing the yes. gregorian chants and things like that and it's amazing how much even music like that can completely surpass whatever meaning or whatever it is it's wrapped up in and because i don't understand latin i can't speak it so for all i know you know they could be singing recipes and i'd be oh my god (laughs) but you know what i mean like so to be able to to connect with music like that on on that kind of a level is really something special yes i would you know i would always wanted to go and see um a Catholic mass done in Latin with the singing of the, of, you know, the old music and so forth. But I, I've never found the opportunity. It probably isn't that hard to come across. I mean, I live in New York city. You'd think that that would be going on somewhere, right? <laughs> it was probably a Catholic mass on every block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they're probably done in English. And I want, I want the Latin one like, like you, I mean, it's interesting you should say that you enjoy it, even though you, they could be singing recipes, because for me, I, it's it's the same thing. I I enjoy the fact that there's some ambiguity in the meaning, because I, I might puke if I actually had to understand what they were singing about. <laughs> you might want to edit that one out, unless I be... No, man, this is a very, this is a very like, you know, I do this for me. This doesn't, I don't answer to anyone, but I love that can't like that, 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 that sentiment because it's really true. You know, like the whole idea of, okay, maybe I don't want to know what you're saying, but please just keep singing because it's beautiful. Yeah. Kind of like Christmas carols from the 19th century. They're all about the baby Jesus. And I, I don't, that doesn't story doesn't resonate me, with me a great deal, but I love the music. My wife always gives me a hard time, and she says, "You know, for someone who's an atheist, you should love Christmas music a lot." And and I'm not even so much the traditionalist Christmas music, but I will tell you what, the Bing Crosby Christmas album pretty much plays on a weekly basis in my house, like during the holiday, and we, and, we, and we don't even do Christmas trees or anything. And my wife is like. Bing Crosby, really? <laughs> we had I probably the same record in my house when I was growing up, Bing Crosby's Christmas record. I don't know if he did more than one or not, but... The white one, the white one with his... White Christmas? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. As a matter of fact, we covered that song. We did a, a Christmas Carol album. Uh, yes, that was fantastic, by the way. Thank you. And uh, I got to dig into all those old 19th century Christmas carols, as well as Bing Crosby's White Christmas, which uh, was a brilliant song. Yeah, he did the Hawaiian Christmas song too, the Mili Kaliki Maka. Yes. Which I thought was like, I'm like, okay, that is incredible. Andrew's sisters. I just always pictured him in the studio just drunk singing these (laughs) songs, you know, with like a a glass of brandy in his (laughs) (laughs) but you know so you know a few years ago you guys hit the road for the 25th anniversary of 
God Shuffled His Feet, which was the album that really, you know, I mean, it was the album that pretty much broke you in in the States. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Like, kind of, I mean, is, is it weird to think that anything is that old at this point, like music-wise to us? Oh, no. Not only is it old, but I'm old. I'm going to be 60 on my next birthday. I mean, I just turned 59, so it's a, still a ways away, but 60, like, <laughs> that's not even a number I can relate to. <laughs> Look, I just turned 49, okay? So, but so I can kind of side with that because, you know, it was, what was it? It was something, I was listening to the radio one day, and I was like, because my phone i wanted to listen to something different i was listening to classic rock radio and they played she talks to angels by the black rose and i was like why is this being played on classic rock radio and the dj comes on and says oh released 30 years ago this week and i'm like how old was i when this came out i was like oh yeah i was like 18 yeah okay You know, so it's like such a mind-blowing thing to look back, especially, the, I mean, because I remember buying God Shuffled His Feet, and I even saw you guys in Atlanta on that tour, but what was it like for you to revisit those songs after? I mean, I know you've done a, some of those songs, obviously, over the years, but mm-hmm. to revisit them on that level of, like, going out and playing them again, was it yeah. wrapped in nostalgia for you? And Yeah, it, there was a certain amount of nostalgia, you know, I have to say, I'm very grateful. Our second record, I think, stands the test of time for the most part. And so I I still enjoy singing those songs. Um, but I can only imagine how awful it would be to come out with a record that was really big and then decide that it wasn't really your favorite record. Like, that, that would be a drag. <laughs> Having to go out and sing a bunch of stuff that you weren't that proud of anymore. I mean, our first record, I'm very proud of Superman's song, but a lot of the other songs on that record, although it did extremely well in Canada, like four times platinum, um, a lot of those songs, I'm not happy with them anymore. And I'm glad that I... that. Well, you know, I'm very glad that our second record, which I think is so much better, did so much better in the marketplace as well. Well, because the first album was so great to me. But again, it's like you said, it's it's interesting to me is that how much I love, you know, you know, the ghosts that haunt me and then, you know, God shuffled his feet. But the two that I find myself gravitating to the most is God shuffled his feet and a worm's life. Oh, really? Huh. You know, I'm proud of A Worm's Life. It didn't do very well um, commercially, but I like that record. Thanks for liking it, too. Well, you know, and that's kind of goes back to what I was going to, you know, you know, because one of the things I always admired about you and, uh, and you know, and the band and sp- especially you as a writer was that, like, I feel like it would have been very easy for you to say, OK, God shuffled his feet did so well. I'm just going to, we're just going to write God shuffled his feet, you know, too, and kind of build off, you know, just kind of go. But like with a worm's life, it was a progression. It was a step. It it was, it was weird. It was a little more avant-garde, you know, kind of. Mm -hmm. And, but as a fan of music in general and of Crash Test Dummies, I thought it was great because I didn't really want to hear another God shuffled his feet because I already had one and I loved it. Well, yeah, that's my exact point. You just put the words right in my mouth. That's my exact point about writing records is that I don't want to make the record I made last time. I want to make a new one. So that's what I did. 
Well, that's what we did. <laughs> I shouldn't say I. It was a collective effort. Well, so with a worm's life, though, moving from God shuffled his feet, did you feel that pressure from powers that be to try to replicate your success? Or were you just kind of like, oh, you know, fuck it. This is, yeah, this is our thing. We're going to do what we want. You know, on our first record, we pretty much did what we wanted to. And on our second record, we pretty much did what we wanted to. And based on that, left to our own devices, the label found they had hits. And so when we were on our third record, I was just like, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I do, which is, you know, write what I feel like I need to write. And as a result, I, I didn't really feel a lot of pressure to uh, perform because I was just doing the same thing that I had been doing all along. And I, the other thing, too, was that I just loved writing songs, you know, and so uh, any kind of pressure that was there was mitigated by the fact that I was in love with the process. If that doesn't sound <laughs> Exactly, because, you know, the, the, the process of writing is it's like this strange, like introspective moment, you know, when you're writing a song and regardless of how it comes out or how it's perceived by others, it really is. It comes from somewhere within, obviously, and then you're kind of projecting it and then figuring out a way to present it. And one of the things like with A Worm's Life is that, you know, you had songs like Oh, I don't know what was it. He liked to feel it, and overachievers, and you know, even like I'm outlived by that thing. Pretty different going into those songs. Was there a, a, a was there a new array of uh, new array of influences that you had picked up along the way, or something, or was it just kind of like this is just where my creative head is? You know what I did for that third record? When we were on the road for our second record, God Shoveled His Feet, we spent a lot of time on a bus going back and forth from city to city, as you can well imagine. And um, I spent a lot of my time on the bus making notes towards lyrics. Um, it might be a note that I made after having read a newspaper article or after having overheard a conversation or after having taken a look at a particular book. So I, I was all ready to go with, with um, some material partly prepared when we uh, got off the road for our third record. Mm -hmm. And um, that helped a great deal because I do think it would have been a little paralyzing to have to just start with a completely blank canvas after God shoveled his feet and, you know. Well, so writing in the studio is something that, you know, I've talked, I've, I've heard a lot of bands mention, and some said like that they couldn't write on the road because it was too distracting. But then at the same time, kind of like what you said, people would say, you know, there was so much time to kill that being a songwriter, you're kind of already taking in scenes and people and situations and things like that. So why not? capture that when you can as opposed to trying to get to the studio like you said and just be like okay where do we start yeah you know i heard a story about adrian Ballou. i don't know if you know about adrian Ballou. well when he records his solo records apparently he 
goes into the studio and starts writing in the studio. In the freaking studio. I mean, I can't even imagine. I have to come armed with like lyric sheets and chord charts and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Uh, but he made some great records doing it that way. He played um, he played guitar on God Shoveled His Feet on the title track. Yes, that's right. Yeah. How was that working with him on that? That was great. I mean, he's such a lovely guy. It was it was a very uh, interesting experience to watch him work because we he recorded numerous tracks and none of them were really quite coming together and making sense and mm -hmm. then at a certain point he said okay turn them all on at the same time <laughs> and he did and it turned into a glorious orchestra of guitar soloing so we we tucked it into the mix so that it was you know not not like a ripping guitar solo that stood above everything else but that was you know playing along with the rest of the band as it were and um he he had his guitar going through a a bag a bagpipe simulator and uh yeah i mean it just went from like oh my god where is this going to well, he knew what he was doing all along <laughs> Now I want to go re-listen to the song because, I, I, like, I'm I'm thinking like bagpipes simulator. <laughs> like, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it was only a simulator, so they didn't sound a lot like bagpipes, but they definitely didn't sound like a normal guitar. He, Adrian Blue, had like stacks and stacks mm -hmm. of pedals and technology. I mean, he had he had a kid that used to go and do gigs with him just so that he could use all his gear <laughs> and he has a guitar in every room of his house neatly displayed next to a little amplifier with a little carpet and a chair and anytime he wants to play the guitar whatever room he's in there's a guitar there already set up for him to go <laughs> and i'm thinking wow i don't even bother playing my guitar when i'm not on tour this guy can't stop no matter what room he's in in his house that's amazing. <laughs> first really got into Crash Test Dummies and it was it was right at the tail end of the first album going into God Shuffled His Feet and that era for music was really kind of cool because you kind of still had that alternative thing going but then the jam band thing was coming in pretty heavy you know which kind of had a lot of these kind of obscure sounding kind of left field kind of sound you know and I was always curious to ask you if you ever were aware or or felt some sort of like an inclusion in one or one of the other genres more so than any either, if that makes sense. Well, you know, I've got kind of a broad palette, and I think that um, that shows when you look at our records. Our first record was very folky. Mm -hmm. Second record was, you know, much, much more, uh, what would the word be, lush, I guess majestic uh the third record was quite a bit more hard a lot of electric guitars less lush keyboards and then the fourth record we went into uh you know like r&b territory practically well r&b is probably the wrong word more like 70s funk or something kind of funk yeah i was just gonna say yeah. kind of like groove yeah and um then then I wrote a country record. I don't care that you don't mind. 
and um which i loved by the way too that's oh, a great thank one <laughs> thank you um so no i i i was pretty all over the map i would say that the, the two biggest influences on me when i when i was growing up would have to have well the main one really was xtc because mm -hmm. i loved the way they uh used chord changes they were always changing keys and i couldn't right I was never able to quite follow along and play the songs until you know i sat with them for a long time that always fascinated me when you hear something and you don't you don't really realize how much went into it until you have to learn it yourself I don't mm -hmm. know that experience i just always thought it was really interesting too because you know the reason why i was asking you is that was because i was very in depth in deep with the jam band scene at the time because it was so exciting for me i was a former metal head at the time and all of a sudden metal got really terrible and i was <laughs> like i can't listen to corn and all this crap so i went running the total opposite direction and went into you know fish and the grateful dead and blues traveler and all these bands and i can't tell you how many times i would see a crash duck crash test dummies t-shirt at say like a you know at a fish show that's interesting you should say that because i was i did an interview once and fish were the other part of the interview i forget how it came together but they were singing my praises and and i was blown away i had no idea they even knew who i was and that was you know back in the 90s when they were just starting to get really popular i guess it was just a real interesting sound to me because even now when i listen to you know, like I said, again, especially, you know, you know, God shuffle his feet and in a worm's life is that there are so many elements of that scene that I can hear in there that I was that I was like, you know, if if the alternative crowd wouldn't have latched onto you, you probably would have been great on like Horde Festival you know, and stuff like that, <laughs> playing with all those gym because it was really that kind of thing. It was very musical, like the musicality and the you know, the structure and the musicianship was always top notch. The lyrics were always fun, but then there was a lot of variation. So like in my mind, I always thought, man, I wonder if they would have been more into in on that side of the spectrum, what like how that would have affected you. Being total speculation, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you're I'm sure your your actual audiences smelled a lot better than what the jam band audiences would <laughs> Sure. You know, putting out music now, promoting it, touring, like now is totally different. And, you know, being that we're not terribly far off in age, like I remember that it was flyering, going town to town, you know, being on MTV. Not that I was ever on MTV, but you know what I mean? Like that, like that was the thing that that built your band. And now... You know, we've got social media, nobody flyers anymore, you know, like touring seems to be the main way artists make money because people just don't buy records like that anymore. Have you adapted to the more modern times and stuff like that with all this? And if you have, like, how do you feel about it? Well, that's a big question. Um, I don't really understand how the music business works now. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know how anybody sells records or gets on the radio because it is exactly as you say it's nothing like the business used to be 
Mm-mm. I'm in the fortunate position of being a so-called heritage act, which means we, you know, we had our heyday in the past, and I'm able to rely on our fan base from the '90s in order to make a living touring. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very different situation than if I had been coming up now. Um, we do we have made the transition to social media we have a web page we just made a video that we'll be putting out with our next song that will go on social media but for the most part we don't have to do the kinds of things that bands up and coming have to do right because you know we know we're going to sell x amount of tickets and Mm -hmm. um so we have that advantage. I I would think it would be very difficult to do what is done nowadays. I kind of miss the uh, I kind of miss the release of albums and the listening to of albums as albums. You know, like with streaming, people just seem to jump from song to song. And when I was a kid, when a record came out, I was you know I wanted to listen to it from the beginning to the end and one sitting with the lights off and hear the whole thing hang together as a coherent piece of work, mm-hmm. you know, and a good record usually did that. Uh, but nowadays people put out a song at a time and they listen to a song at a time. And I mean, I'm got to tell you, I'm doing the same thing. I just released one song, <laughs> you know, or I'm go- about to release one song. Mm-hmm. So I get it. But it, like you say, it's a completely different world. You know, and just the way that we digest music, you know, and take in music. And because I'm like you, I've adapted over time, you know, like I have Spotify and I listen to, I, I like to listen to music at my computer while I'm working mm-hmm. and writing and whatnot. But it used to be kind of a ritual, you know, to take the album out you take the record out you put it on you sit in your chair you turn the lights off or like you read the lyrics along with the out you know like you had to be so present in the moment and i'm kind of getting that again with the resurgence of vinyl and even some of the newer acts that i i've grown to love that are putting out records is that you can't put a record on and then go to the bathroom and get a beer and come back because if you do you're on the last song on side one (laughs) But with that kind of change, does that affect how you envision Crash Test Dummies putting out music from here on out? Yeah, it, I, I think so. Uh, I can't imagine releasing a CD at this point. It just wouldn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody buys them. Um, it might make sense to put out vinyl if we had a whole record. I've noticed that, that that vinyl sells at our shows in a way that CDs don't, which is, you know, probably shouldn't be too surprising, but you'd be, <laughs> I'm always surprised at how many people will buy the vinyl, even if they don't have a record player. There's just something, some sort of sentimental attachment to that physical object that people want to have that they don't get when they're listening to music virtually. I mean, there was a big difference between buying an Iron Maiden album on a CD versus buying it on, you know, the artwork. Everything was just grand and the detail. And I think that oh, there's a whole younger generation that are enjoying that. And they're also kind of realizing 
that ritual of listening to music. And it's kind of cool. You know, it took long enough to get here. But I've noticed that, too, is that I've even seen a lot of up and coming bands who are kind of not really putting out CDs, but strictly actually putting out their albums on vinyl because, you know, they're carting around boxes of CDs, but then they're selling out vinyls, you know, on every tour. Yes, exactly. I I was listening to some some kids on the subway the other day. They were probably in their early 20s and they were talking about their stereos and their turntables and how they were just getting turned on to Echo and the Bunnymen. <laughs> like, wow, wow, you're getting turned on to Echo and the I forgot who they were until they, they mentioned them. <laughs> that was probably the first time you'd even heard that name since like 86, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it is, so vinyl and even, you know, the music that was made back then was, is, seems to be enjoying some kind of resurgence. Crash Test Dummies came out at that kind of weird era, that weird time where vinyl was starting to kind of phase out, if not already faded out at that point. Yeah. As a matter yeah. of fact, our first record was on a CD and in Europe, they hadn't yet caught up with CDs. This was mm -hmm. in 91. So they made vinyl. But after that, it was all just CDs. Now the record label has gone back and they've um, done vinyl versions of the first four records that they own and uh, are selling them in stores. And we actually buy them to tour with because it, we do pretty well with that. Did you get, have you had the opportunity to listen to one of the vinyl copies of your own album? And if so, how was it for you to like sonically sonically it's amazing i have to say like the i know that this is a cliche by now but the difference between digital and vinyl still is somewhat dramatic i mean okay. there's just a certain kind of quality <laughs> to the low end that vinyl gives that i still haven't heard on a on a digital record and you know i mean of course there's the scratch factor that's not great but um but there's a there's a feeling about the sound of vinyl that I don't know. I maybe just because I'm so old, I feel sentimental around it. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> but you know, you're right though, because like I could probably go and listen to you know Stairway to Heaven on Spotify and just be like, wow, that's a you know, I mean, obviously it's an incredible song. It sounds great, whatever. But if I go put on my copy from Led Zeppelin Four that I've had since I was twelve, mm -hmm. the crackle, the kind of yeah, you know, the sound of of just being played so much over time. You know, I'm like, that is a really magical sound when you're listening to music like that. And what a great record, too. To me, that's like up there with like Dark Side of the Moon with one of the that's like like one of the few records that gets so much praise that I'm like, yeah, it deserves it though. You know, like yeah. that's not overrated. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's just a great. Those are great records. You know, you guys are kicking off the tour tomorrow. And by the way, I'm super psyched because you're going to be here in Atlanta on the 28th. So I am, I'll be right there. Like, how are you picking the material for a set list after all these years with so much music? Well, we, we tend to weight the set list towards God Shovel His Feet because it is our most popular record. But on this tour, um, and, and as a matter of fact, 
for the last few years, we've been playing every song on God Shovel His Feet. At one time, I even entertained, entertained the idea of playing this, the record in the order. <laughs> the problem is that we play our hit three songs into the set. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work great for encores. But uh, so now we're, we're relearning some old new stuff, as it were. Um, and of course, we've got uh, Sacred Alphabet, our new song as well, that we have to learn. Mm -hmm. We've got some rehearsals coming up uh, tomorrow. We've, we have a new keyboard player, actually. Our old keyboard player just had a family that was just uh, taking up too much of his time. <laughs> Damn families, I'm telling Darn you. Darn children. <laughs> Darn those kids. So, um, so we'll be rehearsing uh, for the first time in quite a while and learning uh, four or five songs that we haven't been playing on the road for some time. That so it's but it is hard like we do have a lot of material to choose from and um if you try and do it at all democratically it's just too many cooks spoiling the broth <laughs> everybody's got an get idea. your hands out of there no <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the collective effort seemed to work out last time as a matter of fact i, ha I took suggestions from the band and we um we have a completely different looking set now, so I'm quite excited to try that out. Is there a particular song that you always look forward to playing that like you like if you see it in the set list, you're like, fuck yeah, that never gets old, you know? <laughs> um yeah, there are some songs that are my favorites. I love playing Godshaw's feet. I get to do a guitar solo at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would probably be my favorite one to play. Well, I I have I've been wanting to hear Two Nights and Maidens for a long time. Oh my God, that was one of the songs we cut. Okay, well, you, sure. well, because you're talking to me, you have to put it back in. <laughs> we'll play it backstage before you for you acoustic. You know what? I might take you up on that. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is that before, because I haven't seen you guys. I was supposed to see you guys the last time last time y'all were here, but because. COVID, I wasn't able to go out at the time yet. Um, but I saw you guys, I think it was around 93 or 94 here in Atlanta, and you guys were at the Roxy Theater, right? Oh, yeah. That's and I called in sick to work that day because I I worked in fast food at the time. I was like, I'm not going to miss this show. I've got to see this. Went to the show, was so blown away on my way out of the show. And I'm super high, by the way. Like, I run into a guy that I work with who is off for the night and he goes, I'm going to tell Miss So-and-so that you were at the show tonight and you weren't sick. And I was like, fuck you. Don't you dare. So I almost got fired for going to your show. And it was so worth it, by the way. I had to tell you that story. Well, that's a very heartwarming tale indeed. <laughs> I actually got to tell Ellen that story when I interviewed her a couple of years ago. And she was like, I'm so sorry you almost got fired. I'm like, no, don't be. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, thanks so much for talking to me today. And like I said, you know, I mean, it's been great to get to know you and you're fantastic. And I appreciate you being so kind. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you in Atlanta. Well, I'm looking forward to playing there. It'll be our most southerly date. So hopefully the weather will be nice and it'll be nicer than all the other places we're playing. That's for sure. <laughs> well good well good luck on the tour and um i'll look forward to seeing you guys here 
Thank you so much for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. You had lots of great questions. Though you think me cold and slimy, I've got a nice home. Tasted your best guacamole. Yesterday at noon in the cool of the soil A world's life can be easier If you lay low out of sight Sometimes it's too hot for cooking One wants just a salad Then comes the breeze in the evening Men light cigars and the scent fills the air When life can be easy